I love China. People think I don't like China. I love China. 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 Is the new China, by the way. China. 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 I deal with China. 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 Big league. China. So don't tell me about China. I know China. 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 Whether it's China. China. So if you went to China and you wanted to get a job in China. I don't knock China. How could I dislike China? A man from China. China. You have China. Carl, take China. 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 China, 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 China's over here. Look at what China's doing. They're learning from China. China, China, okay? Look at that. Isn't that nice? China, 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 I mean, I love China. How can you not love China? I love China. China, China. China, 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 China. And you know China, 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 South China, China, China. People say, oh, you don't like China. I like China. China. I love China. China. China all the time. back all right with a discussion we did it it's like we never left it's great, like great. Never that was left. a great commercial break so um i don't know that 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 did so who's um, gonna let it rip first I, I, i'm not gonna let it rip necessarily but that 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 explanation didn't change my mind completely because most states propaganda is full of bullshit and if you have an autocracy it's hard to really trust like yeah like at at least with a duopoly in america they're all neoliberals but they hate each other at least one side hates the other side and you know the other side is they're just inept i'm saying the republicans they properly hate democrats and the the republicans haven't you seen those pictures of michelle obama and george bush just hugging the shit out of each other but that that shit is they love each other that shit is done Right, I'm talking about the the fucking the the population, the regular people. Well, that's they, just regular that's Republicans just, fucking hate Democrats. Yeah, but that's just divide and conquer. They're just all idiots that don't realize that the people at the top are you know the ones controlling them, and that they're at the bottom no matter which side of the which party they're in. Yeah, but at least the Republicans relay that uh, sentiment to their electorate, whereas Democrats are like, can't we all just get along? Um, you know, we have know, to man. we have to win the right way. We have to win as the the moral participators in this political program. I, I feel like the the Trump years were very different from that. I mean, people were you, sort of. I mean, didn't you pay attention to the the, the sort of I don't even think that's true. Barrage like, of of in insults and that was making, all localized to Trump, though. That wasn't no, even no, because they, they their whole thing was like conservatives are idiots they're all inbred they've been doing that forever but it wasn't about it was more about pity them than than hatred then you can't possibly tell me that 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 they're any different they're just like both doing the same nonsense you know what i'm saying is that the way that they approach that same nonsense has two different programs applied well they're the same in some respect but there is arguably more plurality in the united states than there is in the chinese and what i'm saying is that that plurality i can at least in a duopoly you'll have the two sides trying to prove the other side wrong whether it's disingenuous or not we have two wings of a capitalist party right when you have a an autocracy and i'm not saying that in a bad way right you have one party. It's the party. So the propaganda that's coming out, there aren't two sides to that propaganda. Is is there another party in China? There are. Um, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but there are a little bit under 10 political parties in China. What, what's now, their membership we're, we're, like? we're talking about a completely different paradigm because on one, I mean, depending on how you want to define autocracy, I mean, what, what Thaddeus is talking about is 100% correct. Like nobody from the, from the staunchest supporter of the CPC to the person that claims they're the newest fascists or whatever is going to pretend that 
that anybody else is ever going to get in political power anytime soon, unless you have an absolute like regime change and the CPC is violently, you know, overthrown. Um, these these political parties um, exist in sort of a different functional purpose. And unfortunately, I'm not far along in my studies of the Chinese political structure as it currently stands to to elaborate on that more. But yeah, there there are all several different political parties um, who who consult with um with the communist party in an in an in, a, in an organization called the the let's see the cppcc the chinese political something consultative conference mm. um i'm just going off the dome here who's that guy with a boot on his head like frumius bandersnatch or what what's his name who, or wait are we going back to the u.s yeah, for yeah, vermin yeah, yeah. supreme vermin supreme does mm-hmm. his party have a wing in china <laughs> maybe <laughs> Um, but I, I think so, something that is important to understand as far as like if you want to talk broadly ideological diversity within China versus ideological diversity within the U.S. I don't want to explicitly stan uh, or <laughs> we, we talked about this word stan. Uh, uh, I don't want to explicitly like really rah rah and cheerlead for China um, on this on this podcast too much. But one thing I will say from what I've observed in the U.S. and what I've read about China, there is a lot there is a much wider range of ideological diversity within China as far as what you can get paid to propagate. For example, you can be a uh, Milton Friedman, uh, an acolyte of Milton Friedman, uh, a liberal, uh, neoliberal economist, and you can get tenure at Peking University. Um, now you can, within humanities departments in the U S you can do this sort of song of dance of like, I'm a Marxist, I'm an intersectional Marxist, this, that, and the well, other. You can be a sort of cultural Marxist. You can be a sort of cultural Marxist, but it's very difficult within the U S I'm not saying that there aren't like examples of this happening. You but can't get tenure in an economics department as a Marxist, except at UMass Amherst and a few handful of places. Yeah, it, it, it's very tricky, but within China, and I mean, this goes back to the legacy, good, bad, or whatever of the wild nineties and in in fact, of just the entire reform and opening up is that essentially what Deng Xiaoping's administration said is like, look, give us your best ideas. And if they if they make people, if they lift people out of poverty, we're going to we're going to try it. Mm-hmm. Give us your best ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, we might like try it in this village and we might try it over here. Come on, professors, intellectuals, give us what you got. The U.S. doesn't have an analog for this. Um, and this is this is just I think I this, we had McCarthy necessarily true. like Paul Sweezy, the most famous American Marxist, arguably, uh, gave up his academic career because he knew he wasn't going to get re rehired after he published his book, uh, Theory of Capitalist Development. Oh gosh, why do I keep doing that? I just uh, spill drink beer it. everywhere. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Paul Sweezy couldn't get a save job. Your, yeah, Paul Sweezy. I mean, so he he had to give up academia and um, ultimately just um, I'm a beer noob. Um, publish on his own, start monthly review because okay. he was not, at Harvard with Schumpeter, and and Schumpeter died, and he he knew he wasn't going to get it renewed for his contract. I'm not hmm. saying that you can't have a diversity of opinion within an autocracy. I, I would imagine if there's only one game in town, everybody's got to throw their hat in into that arena, right? Um, so you are going to get um, you know, diversity of opinion in that capacity. What I'm talking about is when you're talking about the state apparatus and what they are releasing, um, are you necessarily going to have someone who releases some secrets like the Pentagon Papers, you know? Are you going to learn about an Iran-Contra scandal? That type of shit. Um, Uh I I don't know... If that's necessarily happening in China, if you've got some information on that, we we can we can get spicy um, for the Pentagon Papers. And this is just my opinion. Now I now I'm going off the dome. These are just my hot takes. Hey. That's Daniel Ellsberg's release, right? He's uh, the he, wasn't wasn't Mike Gravel related, to right? Part of okay, rest so his soul. He, 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 read, them on the he read floor. he read them in the Senate in, on the Senate floor because yeah. you can't get uh, into you know they basically can't do anything to you for anything you. Say while you're basically on the Senate floor talking. So this is my own editorializing, but the Pentagon Papers, and I mean, the, in in my opinion, this applies to a lot of people like Edward Snowden, Julian Assange. Uh, the the Pentagon Papers were what is uh, has been called by the the CIA and others for a long time a limb.
limited hangout. And what you do is, if you see a scandal building, you get a patsy who is loyal to the U.S. government to do a limited release of information, get the bourgeois papers and news outlets to talk about it for a little bit, and then capitalism is able to go on with this illusion that, look, we're self-correcting. We have these, you know, rebels who are able to, you know, keep the thing going and do these justice things. When really, Daniel Ellsberg, I mean, he consulted with ex-directors of the CIA before releasing the Pentagon Papers. He was, I mean, this was entirely, this is just my editorializing. People can say like, oh, oh but that know, was a fact. You know, right? this like tinfoil stuff. Right? This is just Alex Jones stuff. But yeah, I mean, yeah, this is all fact. I mean, yeah, he consulted with several CIA, very upper officials. You know, they they combed through the Pentagon Papers. They made sure, you know, what is this going to be? And then, and then it was released to the public. And then the bourgeois papers put on this big performance of, oh, capitalism and the freedom of speech, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're correcting ourselves. This is all orchestrated. But I'm it, just it's saying, like, it's like the usual suspects. You know how he says, like the the greatest, you know, trick the devil ever pulled was like, convincing everyone that he doesn't exist. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, the United States' greatest trick <laughs> is pretending that there's freedom in it. You <laughs> know, great, the everyone greatest, fucking go, yeah, goes around yeah. thinking that they're so free in this country. It's absolute horseshit. The greatest, you know? the sure. greatest trick Julian Assange ever pulled was convincing Mac, Max Blumenthal to suck his. Well, but. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, right, I the, failed to see the the, th- this seems to be connected to what what Marco you were saying when we were uh, having the interview is basically like you don't believe the information because of where it comes from. You're getting to a point where no one believes anything. Nothing matters. Mm. So like the, the fact that the, the, the state in the United States has to get to the point where they have to have a limited release to even have the appearance mm. of you know uh, uh, of truth or of fairness if you're in an autocracy how what is the mechanism for mm. that control is is what i'm what i'm asking there is what there- what, what i question is the idea that we don't live in one I, we live in a duopoly. I, I just, I, I, this idea that we're not. We don't the, actually live in a duopoly. Me, we live in a capitalist how, society. How, how many non-millionaires are actually pulling levers of power in this yeah, country? We, we don't live about thirty percent. Duopoly really? of, of, the, of the Congress are non-millionaires. How many are going to be non-millionaires well, did, in five years? I, I did don't you know. See the I'm Princeton just saying. Study? You asked did the you question. see? Did you see the Princeton <laughs> study that concluded that America is an oligarchy because? Only the only what the the I didn't say oligarchy. I said autocracy. No, I said oligarchy because there was a Princeton study recently re- released which proved statistically that the only policies that are get that get enacted okay. are what yes 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 three percent. I've seen once. this uh, for a long time. Only like what is it like five percent of the policies that are enacted are from people that are not in the top one percent. Some shit like that. They right. they don't only so one, why only like, even call it a duopoly. I'm just saying, like, as far as the dissemination of information, we were talking about um, in, in an autocracy. So there's that gossip is, and shit talking going sure, two directions. Right. Let's let's say it's gossip and shit talk going in two directions. In China, they're just throwing the shit into the into the South China Sea. So it's what I'm saying, I'm not even saying that China doesn't do this. That America is better at it. That even an autocracy is better than a duopoly. We probably live in an oligarchy rather than an autocracy. Right. An autocracy may be better than what we have here. And what I'm saying is what I think is what I perceive as a good thing is when you have someone able to release information on the state that the state may or may not want to be released, like in there, you know, Snowden. Does that but exist in able. China? He's literally not here, but he released it. And Dude, again, he's like I, literally under threat of death at this point. Like, nah. what are you kidding does, me? Does does that impotence even exist? Like, yeah, but you, no, there is there is so, there's no second order authority in this world. Uh, you have the state, which is an authority over the population, um, and then it sounds like you want an authority over the state to make sure the state isn't cheating. But at some point, there's the last guards. There's the last guard. You you can put a guard in charge of the prisoners, and you can put a guard in charge of the guard. I think you guys are going too but, far of what I'm asking. But you can't. I'm just asking that mechanism that we desire to check the information that is coming out of the state, mm-hmm. the propaganda that's coming out. It's propaganda out of America. It's propaganda out of China. I need to know. What is the truth within this propaganda? Well, there's a point you reach where you can't know any farther and there's no higher authority. 
Well, but I, I, I know that in America, the Republicans are going to try to debunk propaganda coming out of the Democrats. No, but what I think what I think Marco was maybe saying is that just all that's just all an orchestrated song and dance. I mean, these people go to the same cocktail parties. So if it is, uh-huh. does that mechanism exist in China? Things. That's not a song and dance. Um, I think what what you would have to look at, and I think you just you just have to keep looking at the trajectory. Um, uh, because, well, I mean, and this is, and I don't know if this is like some sort of teleological faith in socialism or whatever, but if, 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 if China is on this sort of dishonest, because I think that this sort of confusion and this fog and all of this media nonsense coming out of the U.S., that's just a byproduct of capitalist development and all the contradictions contained therein. Now, if, if, if what the Communist Party is saying is true and they're, they are on a, a uh, different path, they're on a path of socialist development, mm-hmm. then what you're going to see is that these same contradictions are not going to present themselves over time. In fact, the population is just going to keep getting stronger, getting richer. These statistics we talked about earlier, they're going to keep living longer. Mm-hmm. They're going to uh, – infant mortality is going to continue to drop. Literally is going to continue to grow and you're not going to see these sort of recessions these busts and uh and you're going to continue to see trust in the media which china ranks uh as one of the highest and this is from a western not according to epic times yeah not according <laughs> to epic times but if you want to actually cite like the pew research um firm or whatever you want to cite a few other like western studies china has um one of the highest rankings for general pop and I'm burping again. General population trust in the government, general population trust in the media. Mm-hmm. And this is a shout out to the good old boys pod. I think this just comes the down to pa- <laughs> this just comes down to patronage. I think the CPC, the, the people, you know, you don't have to be a Marxist scholar to know that like, all right, I have I have bread on my table, my family is fed. What what the what the hell? A few generations ago we didn't have running water and now my kids have two cars. What's happening? Oh, it's this government. Oh, and this is pretty awesome mm. but but people in the u.s they're not experiencing this they said oh a few generations ago i had a union job at a factory um now like my kids are hooked on opiates and i don't know what's going on um and 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 some rich woman is calling me a deplorable um yeah i mean uh what the u.s has one of the lowest rankings in the developed world for trust in government and trust in media uh china has one of the highest i wonder you know if we're going to continue to see these patterns uh, go go the way that they're going now. Um, I want to I want to make a, a a point about this idea of pluralism within political systems and um, a kind of like a, pri- a, a principled point, um, like at the level of principles. I mean, there seems to be this prejudice or dogma, even like pluralism is in principle good. I think that's false uh, because there are some people you don't want to be in company with mm-hmm. and um it's not better to nazis, have sorry <laughs> right so like you don't want to be around nazis even though that would mean some pretty serious diversity right because diversity of right. opinion right and you know depending where you are that could mean ethnic diversity um wait with nazis right it's like you've got you've got a i don't know like let's say you're in ghana in this little town it's like half nazi so like can some, you be half Nazi? No, no, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not black, right? They're let's say let's say Golden Dawn, like they're imported from Greece, right? Uh-huh. Right. So now you sure. got some Greeks and you got some, right? So you got ethnic diversity. You have got diversity. Wait, 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 wait. This how do we? I'm, 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 I'm still stuck this, on how you have ethnic. How are these? How are these Nazis coexisting with the Africans? Well, they live on this side of the tracks, and the other so ones how, live on the other side. That's not how Nazis do. How are, they're going to have to expand their Liebenschrauber, right? with me for sake of argument. Okay, Suppose I'm going to let you go. Go, go, go right, on. Right, right, right. So you got all these people. They hate each other. They're very different. You got diversity. You got pluralism. Is that is that virtuous in itself? Obviously not, because you don't want to be right. in a political unit with Nazis. So pluralism itself is not a virtue, right? What you what I want uh, in a here's what I hang on hang on what I want in a government is not principled pluralism. What I want in a government is the right view which acts in the interests of the well-being of the entire population. Now, we can disagree on what that view is and whether or not it's actually being executed properly. We could say, for for instance, America's doing it and China's not, or China's doing it and America isn't. But either way you dice it, the point is, like, pluralism itself is not the virtue. You you need the right plan and you need it to work. That's what you need, not pluralism. 
Right. So like a, a parliamentary system isn't necessarily better. Like that's what I was what I'm trying the, the to get thing at. Is, you know, go ahead. Yeah, well, there's two things here. The first is I want zero economic pluralism. I want everyone to have the exact same shit. <laughs> <laughs> two Are you serious? <laughs> what? Yes. And then you, you don't know, mean numerically the same, like we have to use no, the same. No, I just toothbrush. mean like if you need something, you get it. And if you don't fucking need it, you don't get it. And then the fucking store, you know? Like we don't need to have billionaires. And and that goes to the second point. The reason they push all this pluralism shit is because they want you to accept that there should be billionaires, right? Mm. They want you to accept that, mm-hmm. oh, that's good because there's economic diversity. Mm. I don't want economic diversity. I don't want poor people to exist. I want poor people to rise up and not be poor ever again you know and right. i want rich mm-hmm. people to come down and not be rich ever again because right? you can't have democracy so, if you have oligarchs no you can't have what you're just gonna have is a bunch of people exploiting other people that's what you're gonna have because the only way you're gonna get rich is through exploitation no one generates a thousand times more you know wealth than another person i, I mean you're not superman you know right so so it's it's just bullshit you're it's just superman. a way to justify that and so, and then another part of the, the, the sort of pluralism thing is, is really, it's just a euphemism for, we don't want the Nazis to kill all the Jews again. Mm. You know, mm. it's just a euphemism for that, right? It's a way to say, well, we need to allow other people to exist. And then, you know, the freaking neoliberals latch onto it and go like, oh, you're going to kill the billionaires the same way the Nazis killed the Jews. Uh, you know? Those are hardly comparable. Well, I know, but that's the game. That's the that's the behind the scenes well, seduction of the word, right? Because words saying. have shifting meanings, and you use the shifting meanings to control people. So I, I'd have a question for the billionaires in that capacity, because in America, we're 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 fans of killing terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. So we're not against killing a group of people. So if you're gonna pick a group of people. I mean, what if the billionaires are the probably If we want to get back to China, this, this is probably going to have to be edited out. But right, if we take, really take were, it back to take it back to China. It, 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 if this is probably going to have to be edited out, but if we really were fans of killing terrorists, oh, we'd no, just no, kill no, the no. entire. I was I was saying I was saying to Daniel off to the side this, this might this could be a good transition back back to China because one, one of the one of the few one of the frequent objections to the argument that China's still in a socialist trajectory is like what what about all these billionaires mm-hmm. you want me to get into that yeah do yeah. it yeah. okay so um few just interesting tidbits you mean Jack Ma and so forth Jack Ma and so forth few interesting uh, tidbits um, and this is just fun because I think like like the probably the audience for this podcast and like a lot of people who in the US who consider them so self-socialist or leftist they're really they're really fed up with billionaires and like what what was there that there was that um there was that uh, Jeff Jeff Bezos is shooting himself into space, and there was this petition. Yeah, they, they got th- <laughs> they, they got thousands of signatures <laughs> to say like "Don't come back" or like "I hope your ship explodes" or like some it like people people back. are primed. They need to. I think we need to study more. And I'm not saying this proves anything about China, but I think this would be sort of interesting for people to study more. Is how the death penalty gets used in China. Um, so the there is a list that comes out every month. Um, uh, I forget if it's in Chinese uh, Forbes or Chinese. It's one of the Chinese editions of one of these, you know, like capitalist type magazines. And it's the list of the wealthiest people in China. The nickname for this list um, in China, it's colloquially known as the kill list. Um, <laughs> this is because um, this is how the CPC uses its death penalty as, as, as compared to the U.S. Um, Amnesty International, it's very difficult call because like we talked about lack Are they of defending billionaires amnesty international um it's very difficult for them to figure this out due to lack of transparency from the cpc but they estimate that the um that the uh, chinese government uses the death penalty more than the rest of the world combined uh forbes magazine in the u.s did some follow-up research on this and they estimated that 41 billionaires are killed by the cpc per month um, now I know we'd this, be in good shape at that rate. <laughs> well, this this is this is the kind of statistics that people don't think about when you have a communist government, allegedly communist government that is this powerful. This is how if you look if you look at the the wealth, leave the, the millionaires, just get rid of the billionaires. 
um, if you look at like the wealth distribution or the um, I guess the the net worth of people, the the general distribution of how that is um, for people who get the death penalty in the U.S. It skews very destitute, mm-hmm. very poor. In China, the graph skews the exact opposite. Again, I'm not saying this proves anything about whether China is socialist or whatnot. I, I just think it's an it's an interesting different use of the death penalty. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I had an argument with my brother and. We were arguing about, um, you know, who is more of a, a threat, who you're more afraid of. So it, it's kind of one of those arguments of what is like actually going on versus what should be an is versus an ought. And the idea he was like, if you have a guy who, um, you know, you, you're seeing this guy in, in tattered clothes and, you know, you, you have your wallet on you and you see the guy in, you know, the, the tailored suit. Who are you protecting your wallet from, right? That was his base argument. The guy Obvious, in his suit. I, that that's when you're gonna like like literally, you're probably protecting your wallet from the guy who has an immediate need to get your money. That's 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 just, the capitalist, right? That's no, that's that's obviously who you're gonna protect your wallet from in that moment is the guy in tattered clothes. Just your initial response, but my argument the other guy, was the other guy's not stealing from your wallet; he's stealing from your bank account. Exactly. That's that. That was my argument, but that's an abstraction that you're not going to make in the moment. That's not. That's not life threatening, right? But when you abstract it to who is more dangerous to society, who's killing more people? Like back to what I was saying about terrorists, who's who's terrorizing more people? Mm. Is it the guy who needs that to who needs to steal your wallet to, to 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 get a sandwich? Right? Is he causing more misery than the guy who is basically stealing a portion of your wages and docking your pay in order to keep a certain segment of the population immiserated so that they can you know extract more and more surplus every quarter? Who's causing more pain and suffering? I.e. profit. Yeah, who, who's in causing more suffering? Who's hurting you more in the long run? And who well, I mean, deserves it, more of the punishment? There's this whole conservative thing about uh, law and economics and how they try to like figure things out based on economic impact. But then when it starts getting kind of iffy, they stop it, right? So it's, all, it's always all about sort of like limiting, you know, damages and, you know, but then when you say something like, well, okay, so you kill someone, you cost the economy $2 million. Mm-hmm. So if you steal a billion dollars, it's like you just killed how many people? Like 500 people? Well, it's not like you're not going to so, spend that billion dollars you just stole. Well, you just, yeah, but you just trash that much out of the other people. Well, actually, you might not spend it because right, you might hoard it. Hoard it. Um, and you're so you you're causing even more damage long term because that doesn't get spent and it spend, co- it on, spend it on Bitcoin. Like I read the article right now, they said that the baby boomers have thirty seven trillion dollars in wealth, and that they need to start giving it away. That was the title of the article. So 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 if you are involved in financial crimes, then you're more deserving of the of the death penalty than a murder, right? Because the cost to the economy is bigger for the financial crime well, than you, for the murder. And yeah. the deaths that you cause from that yeah, cost you're gonna of the cause economy. More deaths. The you're, economy you're, you're, can cause death, that's right. You're statistically going to cause more deaths than the murder. So that's basically what China is doing. It's just they're, they're taking the law and economics thing to... to well, to, it's, so it's, 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 it's a macro death penalty versus a micro death penalty. Friedrich Engels coined this term called social death or social murder. Sorry. People die because of social circumstances, which are caused by economic factors. And these fall through the cracks um, of law in a bourgeois capitalist republic. You know, like, oh, well, you know, he starved to death. She starved to death or, oh, malnutrition. Oh, Mm -hmm. no medicine. What a pity. Oops. I remember seeing Paul Ryan being confronted by a mother in an audience. Well, what am I supposed to do? We don't this, we do that. And he says, I'm sorry, my heart goes out to you. You're in my prayers. Better yet, there was a uh, Rand Paul was, um, he had uh, some assistant mm-hmm. who wound up getting like uh, $60,000 in medical debt that he couldn't mm-hmm. pay. Mm-hmm. And all Rand Paul did for him was, you know, we'll start a GoFundMe. It's about charity. Mm-hmm. Well, th- this, is, this is your guy and you're a senator. You could implement a law, you could have, that would have saved that man's life because he would have had health care. Sorry. You know, it's up to, and his his response was basically, it's up to the church to help him join a church. I want to pick up on a thread, slightly changing direction. Um, Keep it China related. Um, China. China. Keep it China. China, China, China. China. Um, 
So shout out to my boy, Michael Hudson. There's a paper he wrote called Creating Wealth Through Debt, The West's Finance Capitalist Road. You should download it and read it. Um, he's saying He's saying one remarkable thing about China is that they've completely, well, first of all, they've collectivized property. So there are no monopoly rents on property. So rentiers aren't a thing. They're doing industrial productive capitalist development and um, they're avoiding as much as they can dollarized debts and dollarization, dollar hegemony. So obviously they hold American securities like bonds and dollars. So we give them, we spend dollars there and they give the dollars back for bonds, which are a promise to give them more dollars later, which they won't be able to really do anything with, but buy more bonds. So it's kind of a, kind of, we're kind of duping them um, because, you know, we have, we're importing more from them than um, giving to them. Uh, and so there's dollar hegemony, but they've avoided taking debts in dollars and they've avoided financialization. And they've avoided rentiers because they got rid of land rents and monopoly, uh, natural monopolies. And so his thesis, I think, is he calls it the, the finance capitalist road. And he says that they're taking a different path. And this is also the language of, well, I think that was Deng's language, the path that they're taking. Um, what, what language? Um, you know, a path, which path the country is taking. Like we have taken, Anglo capitalism has taken a financialized path. And they seem to be avoiding it. Um, financialized in what sense? Well, for instance, okay, so uh, financialized in the sense that a lot of, uh, so productive capital, like producing real goods and services, which add to GDP, like net value added at the level of the whole economy, those are going abroad. Whereas we have financial services here, um, commercial capital, like selling goods, um, Production goes abroad, and then we have financial services. For example, you've got um, healthcare is an insurance company, and who who is investing in that? Retirement plans, and retirement plans are also you know financialized wealth. It's invested on stock market. So, so you might have people's retirements retirements invested in um, uh, insurance schemes, and then you just have all these massive circuits of of financial which like money wealth not real goods and services but like cash uh, or or currency um moving around here and then that also entails a lot of debts because every financial asset is another person's um obligation or debt and so financialization is an economic way to say neoliberalism and we don't like china and we want war with china because they have a massive public infrastructure, which if you privatized it, you could get it, you know, you could, we want to financialize China and they're resisting financialization. Basically, that's what Hudson says. Any thoughts on that? Like what does, does any of the literature you read uh, from, from China talk about financialization or dollar hegemony or, or um, currency? Uh, probably, probably pretty limited perspectives on this. Um, I know that from what I read, this is why China and Russia are growing closer and closer. This is all part of bipolarity. They want more and more independence from the dollar. Mm. They want more and more independence mm. from the U S in general. Um, so China wants to de-dollarize. Is that, that's yeah. the, the brick nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China. That old yeah. Thing. Which like Bolsonaro, I think is like a short term, you know, kink in that but i don't i don't think bolsonaro is as significant as a lot of people in, in, the, in the long term of things i think he's just a little bump and mostly mostly a smooth road i also think people exaggerate like modi's if we're talking about bricks like modi's um motivation to be sort of what's the analogy i heard like the india of, of east or the, the india <laughs> the the israel of east asia like this started with the trump administration and is getting continued in the biden administration like you need using modi uh-huh. and, and, and india as like this geopolitical wedge in like the middle outpost. east yeah <clears throat> to sort of keep keep china from being the go-to superpower in in east asia you have india as this this buttress to that i don't i don't think i don't think modi's going to play along with that um, I think I think India. I'm just veering all over the place. I'm sorry, but he said that role. <laughs> he said he said bricks, or Thaddeus said bricks. So I was thinking about like um, uh, 
yeah, like like people people who talk about these kind of narratives don't understand how um, independent and strong India has become mm-hmm. post World War II, mm-hmm. and they you know to, to talk about Modi as some kind of puppet just because he went to Texas for a few days that's just that's just comical. It's almost condescending and dare I say almost. racist. Well, the real question I got from that oh, I is um, I'm not a puppet because I haven't been to Texas. And Modi is because he's been to Texas. <laughs> what is that? Texas makes you turns you into a puppet. You mean someone has their hand up your ass? And as make soon as you get move? there, that's what they do. They put strings on you and put their hand up your ass. This is this is what I've heard. Yeah, many such cases. Wait, what happens when you go to Texas? <laughs> I'm hating. I have family in <laughs> I have family in Texas. I love one, Texas. One of my best friends is in Texas. Yeah, I love so. I love Texas. Shout out to San Antonio. But he has a puppet though. My so. cousins. I like puppets. I'm not saying there is, there's anything wrong with puppets. Nothing wrong with being nothing a puppet. Wrong, nothing nothing wrong with puppets. Texas. Many such puppets. <laughs> but, Marco, you're being remarkably quiet. Why don't you put something down or talk some shit or something? But there's nothing for me to say. He's 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 gotten all the 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 good China knowledge. He's absorbing and I'm I just know. listening. I, I I am I am curious though. Um, this is like kind of off. This is about China, but and it, and it is about currency. They literally there's this push pull thing going on in China with the whole Bitcoin cryptocurrency thing, right? Where the largest hash for Bitcoin was in China for mm-hmm. years, right? They're getting like shut they down. They had right? the most miners. And then, but they don't want it there. So there's this weird thing where like, you know, it's kind of a far-fetched to think that Bitcoin is just going to replace the dollar as a reserve currency. But at the same, and then the Chinese obviously don't want Bitcoin to do that. They would rather like their own currency become reserve currency. Yeah. But if I were in China's position, I would rather Bitcoin be reserve currency than the dollar be reserve currency, right? So there's this weird... So, I mean, well, because their debts aren't denominated in Bitcoin or dollars, like they are yeah, fortunate so, enough but, to have their own debts denominated in their own currency. They, That's how they can stay sovereign. I, I wasn't done talking, but you know, I, and I know this, <laughs> this irritates you because you have that whole MMT thing in your head, and it's just like independent of MMT, you would rather your you know your existential threat not control currency, right? Even if it means that no one controls currency. That's preferable. Not necessarily. The best outcome, the best outcome is you control currency and you're the reserve currency. Depends on the case. But doesn't it? It depends on on the play on on the particular details. No, you just because they might be getting a better no, they might be getting a better deal with American dollar hegemony than they would be if you had this autonomous standard of Bitcoin. Right. Libertarian dystopian nightmare. Considering they fully like had like was it like 60 percent of the production of bitcoin in their freaking soil right like they were generating the most bitcoin of anyone but would so they still why, control it though the whole right. point of bitcoin is that you can't really control it even if They're, they had it there they could literally go and nationalize the entire fucking industry if they wanted to right like they just kicked all of them out here's my conspiracy theory about that and i'm gonna let chet go off um, I'll be real quick, is that it's a pump and dump scheme by the whole Chinese government. If you have 60% of the fucking industry and this shit goes up to 70%, how much money did you just make when you sold it all and it dropped to fucking 30? I mean, it's not like China can't say, hey, production's back again, you know. We're and then gonna... they buy it all up again and yeah. then it goes right back up. Why not? Yeah. With all these fucking idiots in, in these other countries. No, I mean, I, 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 I'm not, you know, opposed to that explanation. I'm just curious, you know, what, what, what's going on with that? If there's any mention of that in China from a Chinese point of view, because everything we hear about it is completely filtered through the sort of interest of people here, right? It's for China to know and for you to find out. <laughs> I mean, I, I've just, I've just been reading, you know, bit, bits and pieces about it. it. It seems like the main, the main thrust for the CPC and, um, and for anybody who wants to ally themselves with them is, is the um, traders you mean trying to get the, digi- the, the, uh, the uh, digital yuan up and going. This is the big, if you, if you read any Chinese state media about, about any, any anything related to these topics? If you if you read anybody who's trying to um, uh, make good with the CPC right now, it's all about the digital the digital yuan. 
Um, so that that maybe that's like the, that's the third road between um, the reliance on the American dollar and uh, and Bitcoin. So because we be I, I, think I, I understand what you're saying, Daniel. Bitcoin, it's well the the way I heard it described in the Economist is just like a uh, an anarchist's wet dream for a currency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. The, in in the Bitcoin fanatics, they say it's rules without a ruler, and I just think. God, what a what a it's like a torture device, like an autonomous torture device. It just sort of applies the rules and no one's in charge and we're all subject to it. No well, thanks. Back back to the point. You said they're making a digital yuan. yuan. Mm-hmm. Should I get some? Wait, don't never never mind. Don't don't do that. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I was because I I have, you know, a, a very small stock portfolio on e trade. Mm-hmm. I was investing in the yuan for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um on some advice of some of my friends. I Switch that over to just general Chinese tech ETFs, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, no, don't don't like don't like buy stock in any currency. Would be my general advice. Stick that to I, your four hundred one k for all of us who have one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't if, have any money in my four hundred one k. If you're yet. if you're if you're on like E Trade or one of these other apps, just like ETFs, Chinese stock ETFs. Um, I'm on like a China Energy ETF. Mm. They're more diversified. Um, well, I mean, hold, holding holding currency is, is not really a long term investment strategy. No. Currency devalues over time. I mean, no, no matter what, if it's if it's the dollar, if it's the yuan, it doesn't matter. Right? You're exactly right. So, I mean, that I mean, just just from a finance point of view, you don't want to be holding it. It maybe for Wait. a short term transaction Wait. for a trade. That ten thousand dollars under my mattress. It's not going up in value. No, it's going down every day, every second of the day. With inflation, babe. So I should buy a car, right? As an <laughs> investment. I yeah, don't... you should. You should buy a car. Yeah, a cool one. Do a really well, actually, cool you know car. It, it, it's kind of crazy, but used cars are actually selling over MSRP these days because of the devaluation of the dollar and the lack of production in cars. Hmm. It's really crazy. Like lumber is four times more expensive now than it was a year ago. So I should just buy a bunch of wood. Yeah, you should buy a bunch of wood and invest. Invest in in emerging economies. Invest in Africa. Invest in India. Invest in Latin America. Invest in China. I don't like this. I just I'm just gonna get a bunch of wood. This is this is my third worldism. <laughs> this is this, that just so many too. bad jo- so many bad jokes. <laughs> um, That's what I was trying to get out of these people. But I know settlers of Catan reference. <laughs> oh, oh no no no! We're we're just oh. talking about morning wood. That, that's, oh, that's damn! Um, I didn't that, pick that up. That's definitely Daniel's investment plan these days. It's all about wood. All about wood. But, good wood. Yeah. Everyone um, likes good wood. You know. So I want to throw a funny fun a fact lo- at you. He's a lumber specialist. Dude. I want to throw a funny fun fact at you. Try to change the course of this discussion. Recent Chinese, well, by all means, factoid. Um, so I'm quoting from a David Harvey book about Marx, Capital, and Economic Reason. You would to study capitalist economic history is to study this madness in action. Is it Cons- dramatic? It's dramatic. I can't do a British accent though. Consider the following astonishing but all too concrete fact. German accent. Is that that's they're they're close ish. Concrete fact. Pun pun probably intended. Between nineteen hundred and nineteen ninety nine, the United States consumed four thousand five hundred million tons of cement. Between two thousand and eleven and twenty thirteen, China consumed six thousand five hundred million tons of cement. In two years, the Chinese consumed nearly 45% more cement than the United States had consumed in the whole of the preceding century. Um, Also, not only cement is used, there's been an enormous amount of expansion of steel production. uh, The world's steel output is coming from China, iron, and so forth. Also, what is the last one? So wait, when did they do this massive consumption of concrete? 2011 11 to 2013. Um, and so, so, so in 2061, their entire infrastructure is going to start collapsing from all the rebar like exploding. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, there is a shortage of sand. But in 2007, also, they're on the markets because they're doing so much concrete. In 2007, there were zero miles of high-speed rail in China. By 2015, there were nearly 12,000 miles linking all of the major cities. 
Wow. Do Do you have a question or you want me to just comment in just, general? Well, we're just there, talking now. There are a couple things we can talk about. I thought you were going to do some quotes by Mao Zedong. Oh, that's the coming. The warrior poem. That's coming. That's I mean, coming. we we better get to it. You got like, you got like nine minutes to <laughs> right? do it, so you better hurry up. <laughs> get on that. Well, what, what's interesting to me about this is Harvey yeah. says that China basically saved the world from the, the complete meltdown in the global financial crisis of 2007-8-9. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, what do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's, I don't think that's a very controversial assertion. I think a lot of people across the political spectrum agree with that. I mean, they're they're building ferocious, like they're they're growing at a crazy rate mm-hmm. just to keep the system propped up. And if they would stop, if they would stop, the global econ- economy would collapse. Is that? I mean, can't you shift that production to Africa? Which they is what are, they're, they're, they're working on to, now. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I would I would highly recommend in line with my earlier um, uh, uh, in, in along with my earlier exhortation to um, learn as much as we can about China, especially study China Africa relations, um, and don't don't rely on just one source for that. There's a there's a good podcast China Africa relations. Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You're in favor of China Africa relations, um, Chinese and African relations. Uh, just like just just uh, watch those closely in in the coming decades. On what what, what sites do you watch that on? So uh, one thing I would recommend, and just like I'm not I'm not endorsing. This is I'm just annoyed with like people in general when I like say like hey check out this podcast or whatever they're like oh you agree with that political view or mm-hmm. whatever um just the there's I think it's I think it's simply titled the China Africa podcast it is a it is a western bourgeois liberal mm-hmm. podcast it's financed Good production through, yeah from grants from the Ford Foundation blah 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 but they you know they they do they do a decent job of of looking at what's going on the good the bad and the ugly with uh chi- china africa relations it's ugly too huh yeah well yeah i mean this is you know it's a uh, everyone's it's, got their fetish right uh, <laughs> um so uh that that was that's one podcast i would i would I'd recommend um I don't know. I'm I'm blanking a little bit, but read read anything read anything the Communist Party puts out about their relations with Africa. This is this is something to watch in general. Speaking, I think. speaking of the the Communist Party and reading what what uh, the first the first uh, penciled in okay. parentheses. We're gonna this 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 okay. So we're gonna compare now. Okay, I know this isn't contemporary China, but Mao wrote some funny stuff, right? And is it funny or is it sexy? It, it's it's cool. It's fun. It's, it's fun. Exciting. It's fun. fun contradiction. All right. Um, Start at if you want knowledge. Yeah. All right. If you want knowledge, you must take part in the. If you want, (laughs) if you want knowledge, you must take part in the practice of changing reality. If you want to know the taste of a pear, you must change the pear by eating it yourself. If you want to know the structure and properties of the atom, you must make physical and chemical experiments to change the state of the atom. If you want to know the theory and methods of revolution, you must take part in revolution. All genuine knowledge originates in direct experience, but one cannot have direct experience of everything. As a matter of fact, most of our knowledge comes from indirect experience. Okay. No clapping. Socialists don't clap. What? Why did you want that read? Yeah, man. I think that's fun. What do you think? What, yeah, you, I mean, it basically it sums up. What does it mean? And how does it how how, how is it reflected in the in the development political development? Yeah, China? I mean, I mean, this is this is out of the this is I mean, the this roots from this is coming what the horse's mouth or whatever. Like they have a philosopher for a statesman leader, and he's this is what he's saying. Um, this is sort of what um, what the, the sort of roots for what becomes known as socialism with Chinese characteristics or socialism with national characteristics. You have to start with the concrete conditions that you're dealing with on the ground. Um, you can't just. I mean, it's 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 the most. It's it, it's uh, to to me, it's the most um, well thought out, well formulated, and well tested example of uh, of actual materialism in practice. 
uh, at least in the 20, 20th century and the 21st century. Americans, and I mean, I mean, Jacobin magazine is just the perfect example of this poison where you just, you can, oh, any, any idea I can come up with, I'll make it into a headline. What if, what if we had, um, what if Popeye's, uh, 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 what if the Popeye's fast food restaurant was nationalized? What if everybody had a Popeye's chicken sandwich? Yeah. Well, yeah. What if? I mean, every, every other day, this is, this is American socialist. Um, um, American socialists would do good to revisit this, this, this type of, um, approach. Would they? Cause Which like type? the last group that, you know, revisited this approach, you know, they all got murdered. COINTELPRO, Pro, all that fun stuff. So, like, maybe referencing like um, the Panthers, the, the Panthers uh-huh. studying studying Mao Zedong. Well, it's yeah. also also bad things happen when Americans take Mao seriously. American Maoism is like putrid, poisonous. Not not just don't don't just throw Americans under the bus. Elaine <laughs> Badu, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a great book. I I, I, I wanted to read. Badu it says some good things, but maybe Maoism that's what he means general. though. So a, a book yeah. I would recommend: Richard Wolin's uh, Richard spelled the regular way Wolin W O L I N. Uh, it's called The Wind from the East, and it's all about this this topic. People, young people um, in continental Europe and the United States and elsewhere in the West who had who don't know a don't know a single Chinese character, and we're just getting things third, fourth, and fifth hand about what was going on during the Cultural Revolution. Started to call themselves Maoists mm-hmm. and applied all kinds of um, just bizarre. Uh, uh, practices um, in in their own daily lives. Struggle um, sessions. Yeah, a very that was going to be my question. A very uh, perverse and disturbing uh, episode in uh, Western history. But uh, R- Richard Wolin's "The Wind from the East" follows this whole uh, intellectual development. So I, I take that that quote though. I mean, it it just it you can take it. You know, and the string goes all the way back to like 19th century German thought, right? Right, right. It's about it's about how like our relationship to technology and our ability to use technology to do things in the world starts helping our epistemology because we start learning through it to to be able to sort of see more of that reality through that technology, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that the technology can accomplish or achieve. Are almost in like as this feedback loop with what our knowledge and our perception of reality is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and and that goes. Marx talks about that and like about how like you know a little bit of technology opens up more technology, and we learn about that, and that it necessitates more technology, and you know, and you sort of start learning more about the structure of how things actually operate in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, no, you're, you're you're spot on. Um, this is is, is we like again we have to think about the concrete realities of China at the time. So the 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 Communist Party is very small. Um, they are primarily they're they're not the most well read. You know they're not they're not the these these are not the cutting edge academics. They only speak Chinese. They can only read Chinese characters. Uh, Hegel, uh, Marx, Engels, Lenin. These are just these are writers who are just now. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the 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 late 1920s, the 1930s. They are just now getting translated uh, very slowly, very laboriously into Chinese, mm-hmm. and they are gradually making their way into these various encampments that the Communist Party holds throughout the mainland. And and Mao Zedong and his comrades are just starting to study these in a language that they can actually read. And then they're trying to figure out, okay, I'm getting these secondhand from these Russian Sinologist translators and how that, that, I'm, that we're working with, you know, through the Soviet Union. And now how can we take these texts and, and, and apply them in useful ways to win victories um, here in China? Um, and yet, yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is, this is sort of the first contact that these um communists would be revolutionaries are getting with these uh, revolutions in german philosophy and then hegel and marx and all of these intellectual traditions right and doesn't that go to the point of what you kept uh, talking about um um socialism with chinese characteristics like the fact of the matter is that it's going to have to operate in a different way in a different setting that's kind of what he's saying in the in, in the quote 100 percent um yeah. because like we were also talking about um you know larping and how people, and you were talking about how uh, Maoists in the United States and elsewhere 
take up that name without knowing a single character. And more importantly, they don't know the history or the conditions that generated Maoism. Mm. That history and those conditions don't exist in the United States. They don't exist in France. And, so, and yeah. well by said. the same, Absolutely. same line of thought, the conditions that created the Soviets in Russia, they don't exist in the United mm -hmm. States. So you can't have the same program applied in the United States if you want to have a socialist revolution, you're going to have to reckon with the text just like Mao did and just like Lenin did. You're going to have to reckon with Marxism and you're going to have to formulate a plan based off of the, your own reckoning within the United States. This, is, yeah. this could be this an issue actually, of the spirit in the letter. Like you wait, can be true wait, wait, to the wait, spirit without being true to the letter. Wait, so so, so this actually does remind me of something I, I heard a while ago about this. This uh Michael Hart, the guy who worked with uh, Negri on those books, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Boo. he he was talking about empire, whatever. You know, Daniel has all sorts of issues, but it's neither here nor there. Um, he was talking about how in the I think it was the eighties, he was in Central America with these sort of revolutionaries, you know, and they were talking about like, you know, the revolution there and what was happening there. And he asked him like, "What can I do to help?" And the guy goes like, "Well, you know." Go to your country and start a revolution there. Mm. You know, like like we don't need you here. We got this covered. You right. go to the states and start a revolution there. <laughs> Fix that so they quit fucking us. And the opposite token. Like, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. But the thing what was interesting too on top. I mean, which I, I think goes to that point of like you need to deal with that reality there in the way that it's there. Is that well? He goes, how do I do that? How do I start a revolution in the U.S.? It's like well, you got mountains and rifles, right? crazy huh. like, yeah but the reality here is that's probably not going to work here even if it would work in you know nicaragua or whatever you know like because it's just the, the the reality of what it would take to have a revolution in the u.s is right. probably very different of what it would take to have a revolution in central america it's probably going to be yeah. a financialized revolution rather than an armed revolution yeah i, I no. don't know i don't know but national general national general, characteristics. general strike you need to attack capital at the right. point of production right well but what if production I, doesn't happen or at here the point because of we're financialization. so financialized <laughs> yes you know I like think, that that would be more of like stop paying your rent right I think the I think strike. Chinese Marxists would be very uh, impressed with this conversation, the socialism with national characteristics. Yeah, and I think that the, that that would be the way to be true to the spirit without being true to the letter and making it into a generalized dogmatic sort of, um, what do you call it, like a template. Um, because, I mean, two thoughts occur to me about this. The first one is, when you get Maoism in the States, it's usually like codified as make an alliance with the the, the lowest of the low, the down and outs, the rural population. And that could mean something like the Lumpen PMC alliance you have now after, you know, in the in the Democratic uh, Party politics with all of the racialized politics. You could say that's a Maoist strategy. And I mean, what good is that? Like, we don't want that. What Maoist, more interesting to me, what he's saying in this quote, why I thought it was so interesting is because he's what he's saying is that we're not separate from the world that we interact with. We're part of it. And so if you want to know it, you have to have a relationship with it such that your action changes it. Yeah. And and so, I mean, epistemology, ontology, it's it's a metaphysical thesis, whatever, but yeah. but the sort of radically radical pragmatic uh, experimentalism, that attitude, mm -hmm. um, I find very interesting and useful. So, oh, go ahead. Oh sure. Oh well, yeah. I just wanted to clarify this this term Maoism because there is no there's no like a real Chinese character equivalent for what we call Maoism, and this is generally what what they would call. I guess they would say it's ultra leftism, mm. a deviation. Um, during the Cultural Revolution, the Red Guards adhered to what they called the two whatevers. Um, whatever Mao's whatever Mao Zedong says goes. Whatever Mao Zedong has written, we must follow to the letter. Um, and this. Is, this is what you might call Maoism, but what uh, Chinese communists today and what Deng Xiaoping said he has said he has adheres to is Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong thought, mm. and that's a very those are a very different set of Chinese characters. Mm. And so you, you you'll see these translated differently. Like, like if we talk about Maoism, we're talking about a very brutal. Uh, iteration of the Cultural Revolution and then how it gets applied in the West. If you talk about Mao Zedong thought, you're talking about the study um, holistically of Mao as a statesman and as a political thinker mm -hmm. and how do we adapt those 
uh, teachings to the present moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So running up on time. Yeah, um, sure. Do you, Daniel, have another quote that we can yeah, use I wanna, I wanna, the last roundabout? That's right. I, I got something here from... Uh, Go for it. You got it, Richard Nixon. Um, do you uh, recall the last... Do you recall your last meeting with Chu and Lai? Joe and Lai. Joe and Lai. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So you want me to read what Richard Nick Nixon says here? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, do you, real quick, the historical. I mean, people might not know. Okay, please. Give yeah, me. there were there were um, uh, after after the revolution in 1949, the U.S. declares uh, full alliance. Well, before this, we were giving funding to the KMT, but full the Kuomintang, the yeah. Nationalist Party mm -hmm. that the communists yeah. fought, and then and after 1949, we we declare alliance with Chiang Kai Shek. We're going to help Taiwan. Um, we're going to help the KMT get back the the mainland, and we're going to have one China, capitalist China, and this. Mao Zedong feller, he's going to be gone. Um, uh, uh, Mao and his administration toward the end of Mao's life reaches out to the Nixon administration and says, you know, what if we made a deal instead? This is a, this is a massive, this is one of the, this is one of the most important events in, in uh, 20th century uh, history. And, and Nixon agrees and he visits China secretively at first and, um, and they, they meet and, uh, and Zhou Enlai is, he's, he's an extremely important figure in 20th century China. It, some people call him Mao's secondhand man, but that's not even quite accurate. A better way to divide it up is that Mao took care of the domestic leadership and Zhou Enlai with his expert expertise on international affairs, took care of diplomacy, international relations. He was especially, especially influential with um, the Mao era Japanese policy. Um, anyway, so uh, this interviewer, this journalist asks Richard Nixon, do you recall your last meeting with Zhou Enlai? Richard Nixon. Yes, I recall it quite vividly. We were meeting in the marvelous guest house where we stayed when I went to China in 1972. That was the secretive um, visit that was not known to the American public or anyone else for that matter. And again in 1976, much more public um, uh, broadcast on the news, etc. And he was in a rather contemplative philosophical state of mind at that point. How fast? How far did you want me to read the whole thing? All right. I don't understand Daniel's point. With it. I'm just trying to provide additional context for what he just... This is just a book Daniel owes and he owns and he just put it in my face. The poems of Mao Zedong. Okay, sure. He was reflecting on the trip and what it meant. This is Richard Nixon. And what it could mean in the future. And while most people are aware that Mao was a poet, many are not in aware of the fact that Joe and Lai was as well. His widow gave me a book of his poems when I saw... When I saw her at his death, after his death in 1976, Zhou Enlai and Mao Zedong died um, within months of each other. It's almost like when a, when like a, a married couple that's been together for decades, and then one of them dies, and the other, the other one follows soon after. Yeah, these are these are these are the communist bros of the 20th century. R.I.P. And so Joe was quoting some of Mao's poetry to me as we were meeting there and one poem that he thought was particularly beautiful and I did as well saying I have it here with me let me read it to you as to what it was he pointed out before quoting this poem that it was in my dining room in the upstairs dining room of the suite in which I was staying in Mao's calligraphy and it read as follows you want me to read the poem you're going to let me promote my Patreon at the end of this, right? Okay. <laughs> the beauty lies at the top of the mountain. And then he went on to say, you know, you have risked something to come to China, but there is another Chinese poem that spells that out. And it reads as follows on perilous peaks dwells beauty in its infinite, in its infinite variety. And then he said, there is another poem that I would also like to have put up in your suite. It is again one of Mao's. And he pulled out the little red book, Mao's poems, and read what he called In Praise of the Winter Plum Blossom. It's actually a very beautiful poem, and the meaning which he gave to it is quite interesting. Spring disappears with rain and winds, and comes with flying snow. Ice hangs on a thousand feet of cliff. Yet at the tip of the topmost branch, the plum blooms. 
The plum is not a delicious girl showing off, yet she heralds spring. When mountain flowers are in wild bloom, she giggles in all the color. And then he said, What this poem really means is that he who takes the initiative is not one who will then reach out and stretch out his hand, because by the time the flowers are in full bloom, they are ready to wither and die. And then he said, You have undertaken this initiative. You have undertaken it at considerable risk. You may not be there to witness its success, but we will welcome your return. Incidentally, he proved to be quite perceptive. I returned to China in 1976, and at that time I was out of office, and Zhou Enlai was dead. That's Richard Nixon recounting meeting with Mao Zedong and Zhou Enlai. Study China, study, uh, study, the, study China under Communist Party rule. This China, I don't think, is going away anytime soon. No matter whether you think this is part of the Socialist Brotherhood, or if you think this is, you know, evil capitalism on par with the U.S., um, colonialism, genocide, fascism, and what have you. Study it, study it, study it. Learn at least a few hundred Chinese characters if you can spare the time. Um... Uh, you, you'll put my link in the show notes, right? Um, I have a if you're if you're the kind of person who's on the move a lot, maybe you have a commute on the train or you drive, and you you're the person who prefers audiobooks and podcasts to print uh, literature. I have a uh, Patreon with a podcast feed where I record copious amounts of Chinese communist uh, co- communist party of China texts. Um, and I record them in audiobook form in English. The more patrons I get, this will allow me time to translate Chinese texts that are not yet available in English and then record those as audiobooks. I do believe, I don't just want money, although money is great, I do believe that this is going to be a valuable educational resource uh, as, as uh, China continues to develop. Thanks. Thanks.